not too hard to follow that. <laughs> Made it easy, man. <laughs> My name's Keith, I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, man, you think I was running for office here. I mean, as soon as we got here, the hospitality's been awesome. And, you know, it's like people are greeting us and everyone's been genuine. And the phone's ringing and people are inviting us to go to dinner, which we appreciate. And then the phone rang again, and somebody's delivering a, a basket with all kinds of stuff. And I was like, I said to my wife, I said, man, we, I feel really important here. You know, it's like, ah, you know, it's, it's uh, really neat. And I, I appreciate Dick and Marlene, you know, they had mentioned, asked us to come here, I think, once before, and we, we were able to make it. And, and it's, what's even better, it's my weekend to work, and I got off. So I'm like, ah, they don't know it yet. They'll come in tomorrow, and, you know, where's he at? But I'm really glad to be here. I, uh. I got sober uh, January 4th in 1992. I got uh, sober when I was 20 years old, so I'll do the math for you. I'm 43. <laughs> it's easy, right? But, uh, you know, I, to sum up the, my sobriety, it's, there's a great line in the book, and it says, uh, we realize that the things that came before us, I'm just paraphrasing, that we put in God's hands turned out better than anything we could have in. I look back over my 23 years I've been here, and there's no truer words, you know, to sum up 23 years of being sober because uh, I don't know if you guys were like this, but when I got sober, I didn't want to be here. I mean, this was, I got sober at a place called Russell Street. It's in Covington. It's no longer an AA clubhouse anymore, but it seemed like it was 12 by 12, and, and there was like 200 people in there, and everybody, it was like marble testing grounds. I mean, everybody was smoking in there, boy. They'd get two going on, man, and it was like going, you couldn't see the chairperson, you know, you didn't know, it was like, it was, it was just something else, and I, and I looked, and I walked in there, and I thought, if this is what sobriety is, man, I'm ready to go hang myself, you know, I was like, this, I thought I was hip, slick, and cool when I got sober, and then. I go down to a place like that, and I'm like, what have I been reduced to? You know, and I'm like, hanging out. But I really like the place. We were talking at dinner, and I mean, how could you ever forget? I like this place because uh, it was inner city, and I mean, it was never boring, man. I mean, there was, I mean, there might be somebody having an alcoholic seizure, you know what I mean? And then some guy would get up from the table that would be sitting there, like, talking to his teacup, you know, literally, and he'd be over top of him going, I hope you know God, you know, as he's flopping around, and then... You know, one time we had Saturday Night Live was a big meeting. It was like everybody would show up there and, and uh, you know, everybody would be into what's going on. And all of a sudden some guy walks out of the bathroom naked and just standing there. And we just kind of like look over at him and just get back to the meeting, you know. It was just like, or the chairs would start, you could hear those metal chairs clanging around in the meeting. And you look over there and there's Mark fighting again with somebody. And I'm like, all right, man, let's see. It was just never a boring time. The cops would walk in. This would be my favorite one, too. The cops would walk in off the street, you know, and they're looking for somebody. And uh, they'd say, hey, is such and such in here? And everybody go, it's anonymous, officer. You know what I mean? He's like, he was in shock. He'd just leave. Like, what the heck do you do with that? But uh, I don't know. It's like the longer I'm sober, the more I look back, the more fond I am of early days. And But the early days for me uh, were really hard. And I and I heard a guy say that I'm friends with an A. He said, I didn't get this thing until I was probably 10 years sober. And I understood what he was saying because I struggled a whole lot. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of my story is I, you know, I'm glad there were two co-founders of A. You got, you got Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. And, and Bill Wilson had, the, you know, the effect that was boom once at once that he was sober and that was the way it was. And then there was Dr. Bob that, you know, he had the desire to drink for a couple years, and then a story talks about that, and he says, the only difference is he didn't yield to it. And, and that was, you know, if you had to get it all, the Bill Wilson experience, I'm out of here, because that wasn't my experience. I could understand Dr. Bob thinking about drinking. I did every day for a long time, and didn't think I was going to make it. And I would, I'd be in meetings, and I'd be, I'd be thinking about drinking daily, and I'd, I'd talk about it. And I, I remember one time I, I told the guy, I said, when I leave here, I'm going to get drunk, you know. And uh, I had it all lined up. And, and uh, I remember going and sitting down with these guys, and we're getting ready to go. And uh, I just had that feeling in my stomach. And they made a right turn to go to the car. And right then I just said, I don't know where it came from, but I said, I got to chicken out, boys. And I, made, I went left to my car and called my sponsor and, uh, you know, stayed sober. And, out of those guys, one's dead, and one did eight years flat in Ohio Penitentiary, you know, for hitting a guy off the claw hammer, and, and here I am, you know, and the other guy's on the liver transplant list right now, and, 
And it's like, they went right, and I went left. I don't I, how do you figure that one out? I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm just amazed to be sober and to be functioning in the capacity that I'm able to function in. Um, and it doesn't matter how long I've been sober, I still have alcoholism, which centers in my mind and talks to me all day long. And it's not always positive, and I have to come here for spiritual tune-ups to go out there for the other 23 hours and function in the day. And, and uh, fortunately, A's, you know, given me ability to do that. I always, uh, Dick was uh, very instrumental in some, some things along the way in my sobriety. And, and one was, you know, we did, he did a beginner's meeting, and he probably, we talked about it. I remember being just a 20-year-old kid, you know, I mean, I was... 138 pounds when I came in, and, and uh, we went to Russell Street, and the uh, central office was in this five-by-five five room, and Dick was doing a beginner's meeting. It was just me and him all the, you know, 23 years. Uh, also, uh, he was instrumental is that I worked in a restaurant business when I got sober. So that meant I went in at 4, and I came home at, after midnight. Well, guess what? Everybody else is in bed. You know, and you ever got to, you got to get somewhere, but you don't know where you got to get, but you got to get there right now, and you're just bouncing off the walls, and it's like, wow, there's nobody to call right now. You're in bed, you're working regular hours, and one time Dick said, come over to my house, and uh, I have a bunch of tapes, like AA tapes, and I went over there, and we went under his steps, and he had thousands of them, it, it seemed like, and he just was going through them, I remember this like it was yesterday, and he was just like, here, take this one, of Sandy Beach, you know. Take this one, Tom Bazant's, you know. Take, here's Clancy, take this one. And, and these guys became like my life support because what would happen was one of my favorite speakers is Clancy, and I got a hold of his tape, and this is, I'm not exaggerating. I'd get off of work, and I had the tape player, you know, sitting on my, on my thing in my room, and I'd put Clancy on, and he'd start talking, and, like, I could go to sleep. You know what I mean? I, I would listen to this tape, and I'd fall. I, it would slow my mind down enough to go to bed. And in my tape player, I can still hear it. When it stopped at that end of the tape, it kind of wake me up because I'm a light sleeper. I'd get up and turn that tape around, put the other side in, and go back to bed. I listened to the same tape for over a year. I just, I love what the guy had to say, which leads me into, you know, really the thing that I can first remember really relating to here was when he, Clancy talked about uh, how he felt before he drank. Because I... I really thought, and this is the picture I had of A when I first got sober. I walked in Russell Street. There's Dick. got a suit and tie on. There's other people in there all dressed up. They seem like the story I heard was I'm married. We got kids. We got cars and houses. And me and the wife got in a fight, and she said, go get help. And if you don't, you're out of the house. I mean, I really just thought that's what A was for you guys. And I just didn't feel like I fit in until Clancy, I started listening to his tape, and he started talking about, feeling less than his whole life. And I went, oh, oh yeah, I, I know what that's like. I felt that way my whole life, less than everybody else. And he talked about not feeling a part of, and I went, oh, <laughs> I know exactly what that's like. I could be in a room with 100 people or just a group of close friends and still just not feel like you like we liked each other. You didn't like me as much as you like these guys over here. And uh, I always had fear my whole life. I still experience it just on a much more milder level. But it wasn't the kind of fear of, like, you're going to get beat up or anything. It was just the kind of fear of life, just scared. Anxiety, just that anxiety all the time, uneasiness. And But what was really odd is I grew up in a great neighborhood, and the older I get, the better my childhood was. I mean, I look back and I go, could it have been any better? I grew up in a, in a house where there was 12 houses on the street, and it was a cul-de-sac and completely surrounded by woods. And right at the beginning of the street was a football field. It was that flat and long, just the right size. And uh, we had swimming pools. My neighbors had motorcycles. And back then they were three-wheelers. And they built what we called rail buggies out of, you know, and put Volkswagen engines on. They'd buy a Volkswagen. We'd cut the fenders off of them and put a chainsaw in there. And you'd just go cutting trees down. And we had paths all over behind all the houses. And there was horses up on the other hill. Um, and there was just a lot going on. There was 20 kids that lived on the street. So we had a lot of fun. And, and I, but I just remember from day one that I can remember memories just feeling like something just wasn't right with me. I just knew it. I, I would get in an argument with my mom and call her names and then say I was sorry and then start crying. And I remember once saying to my mom, I said, 
there's something wrong with me, and I'm probably five or six years old, you know. I, I just knew I was off tilt, you know. I just was a few bubbles shy of being level. And, um, but by outward realities, you know, in the neighborhood I was growing up in, it was great. I mean, I remember one day we were sitting there, and I look out the window, and, you know, we lived in the circle, and there's a horse standing out in the street just, like, standing there. And we're like, well, where'd this horse come from? And so we went over the hill, and we looked, and down over the hill, and we found out who the horse owner was. And it was an old mare's 20-year-old horse. And they told my neighbor, they said, look, if you take care of that horse, you can have it. So next thing you know, we built, like, a barn on their property and got the electric fence and everything. And that led to, like, you know, kind of hanging out in the barn, and we'd see you could hold on the electric fence the longest, you know what I mean? Stupid, but cool then, you know? And uh, I started dipping Hawkins, like dip. Anybody heard of it? It's like candy now, you know what I mean? But we'd start dipping that and listen to Q102 and, you know, do stuff in the barn. And then another neighbor got a horse, and then we trail ride and all those trails where we, you know, rode the Jeeps and stuff. And then uh, we'd take bridles and go up on the hill where they had the horses, and uh, we'd just grab these horses and get on them and ride them, you know, because it was such a big field that nobody would ever see us these horses they were and you know my neighbors had pools and we'd always go swimming together and the basketball goal was right at the end of our driveway in the circle so we were always out there I mean there was just I can hear the Volkswagen starting up next door and I'd run out of the house man and get strapped in and let's go and I just I had a lot of fun but I just something wasn't right with me and I knew it and you know I had great parents I had my you know I have a brother that was born handicapped and and he went through a lot of stuff growing up. I mean, my brother had, he was born with cerebral palsy, and he had a lot of surgeries. And I watched him lay in a body cast for 10 months in our uh, family room after surgeries, you know. And, and I look at my mom and dad, and I think, what strong people, just, just amazing people. And, you know, my brother does well today, but it was just a lot going on. And I just had this, I don't know why I had the kind of thinking I did, but I, I always did. And... I'll tell you what happened. I was in eighth grade. I was 13 years old. And uh, one of the guys, you know, he was a senior in high school, and he was real popular, and his name was Greg. And, and uh, we were just talking. It was like four of us always hung out, and he was the oldest. And he said, Friday night the football team's camping out over the hill, and uh, you guys can come down if you want. He said, but we're going to be drinking. And I remember that was on a Monday. And I could not wait till Friday. I mean, I was elated for Friday. Because, number one, these guys are popular. This is the who's who. Everybody knows them. And they're inviting us little guys down there. And my mom sent me over the hill with the two-liter, you know, camping out and some chips. And these guys are like, I remember to this day, he said, uh, there's a bottle of wine in, in, in my car. And whoever opens that up has got to drink it all because it's a fresh bottle. And then he said, there's some bourbon in there. So we just grabbed these bottles, came back. My buddy started drinking the wine. And I dumped half the two-liter out, poured some bourbon in there, shook it up. And here's a scrawny little kid. And let me paint a picture of myself real quick so you can see what I'm dealing with. I was 115 pounds maybe, right? I had teeth that stuck out like Bugs Bunny, and I'm not lying. And I got pictures to prove it, trust me. I had a cowlick here, still got to keep my hair short. One back here. I wore glasses too, right? And you can never get them straight, right? So you got a little off here, calic here, you know, a little scrawny, teeth sticking out. I'm in eighth grade, and I'm getting ready to take a drink of alcohol with a bunch of popular guys, right? And, man, I'm definitely not fitting in. I am feeling more less than than anything, you know? I'm like, uncomfortable is the word. And, man, 20 minutes later, after a little bourbon and Coke, I'm like, what's up? You know, I'm like, it's cool now. And I like what Clancy said. He said before, and I, and I could relate to this, he said, when I'm sober, I can feel rejection, you know, just by a look. Somebody, I can feel that way today, you know. I go to work or something, somebody gives me a weird look, or they didn't say hi, or, didn't, you know, I'm already like, you know, I'm ate up about it. And uh, he said, but when I drink, I can reject people, and I could understand the difference. When I got drunk that first time in eighth grade, and I'm standing around these guys that intimidated me, 20 minutes later, I'm kind of rejecting people in my mind. You ever do that? You look around, and you're like, I don't like you anyway. You know, and it's like 20 minutes ago, I was like, man, this guy just didn't even look at me right. <clears throat> but it was really funny, and, and I knew I would drink again. I craved that. I never knew what I was missing for 13 years, but I knew I'd drink again. It gave me something to talk about on Monday when we went to school. You know, it would be like, 
you go back to school on Monday and you're like, hey, what'd you guys do over the weekend? Go roller skating, you know what I mean, at the RECA? Woo! I was like, because we, we got drunk, you know, with these guys. And you were somebody, at least in your mind, because you, you were with seniors in high school. And um, I make no excuses. I did a lot of drugs. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, you know, the next year, the same guy who's popular, who later went on to college and everything, he said, would you like to buy a joint? And I'm like, I want to be like, Greg, no thanks, man. They don't like it in AA, man. I'm going down, you know, 92, I'm going to AA, man, you know, and they don't like that. No thanks. Just did what I did, you know. Drug dealers don't ID. You know what I mean? It's just like they don't ask you for ID. So I, he sold me a joint, and I, I got high as a kite my first time. And carrying the commercials were on back then. I remember like those, man, they were going on. And you back then you could go to carrying once a month, just wait till your 30 days is up and reset, you're back. And uh, there was carrying the commercials and, I remember this one where this guy's getting high in the commercial, and he's like, and it's, like, you know, the commercial's like, do you have a drug problem? You know, call this number. And this guy just says, drugs, who needs them? And he throws it down, he stomps it out, right? Well, I'm behind my house halfway through this joint, and I'm blown, man. I'm, like, gone. Like, don't like this, don't, ugh. And I was, like, threw it down. I said, drugs, who needs it, you know? And I'm, like, stagger up the hill. And I roll around in the grass to get the smell off of me, you know what I mean? I'm paranoid already. I'm starving, you know, I'm about ready to have a heart attack, and I'm like, it's a great time, you know. I go in my room, and I'm like, oh, my God. I just, I lay down, my heart's, like, beating out of my chest, just wear off. And it wore off, and the next day I went looking for the other half to joint, you know. I couldn't find it. I mean, I was looking. I'm a looker, too. When I got to find something, boy, I'll start looking everywhere, man. I was used to smoke stuff I wasn't real, didn't even know what it was, because I found, you know, I mean, just looking around. But, uh, you know, I went to high school, and, I, I really I played little league football for a couple of years and I could run fast and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being a part of a team and you know I often wonder if I'd look back if I would have stuck with that would I've been able to do anything or at least who knows that's just the path I was on. But I started smoking cigarettes in fifth grade because somebody must have knocked off a store and we found a bunch of cartons. You know what I mean? And I remember smoking cigarettes before football practice. You know what I mean? I, my, he's trying to teach me how to smoke. I'm like, do you breathe in or breathe? What do you do? I don't know. And uh, and I just missed the football sign up, and I and I remember going on to high school and smoking that joint ninth grade, and I was a weekend drinker for a long time. Um, the same guy who bought us alcohol had alcohol the first time at that camp out. He's old enough to buy now, so we would give him money, and he'd go buy us beer, and we drink on the weekends. You know, that's kind of like what kids do, right? And um, what happened to me is uh, I remember always drinking around people or at a party. But I remember it was Wednesday afternoon. It was like 3.30. School just got out. There was always alcohol in our house. And uh, I get some of my dad's beer, and I go behind the house, and I, and I start drinking. And I just had this thought come over me. I was like, why are you drinking by yourself? I mean, it's not Friday. You're not at a party. And the only thing I remember thinking after that was keep drinking, you'll feel better. And I did, and I just remember drinking and getting that buzz and just that sense of ease and comfort that I that I wanted, that I got from day one. But what happened then is I knew if I drank on Wednesday, I can drink on Thursday now. I can drink on Monday, Tuesday. I don't have to be with anybody. I can be alone and drink. And, I, and that's what I, and I did, and it began that. And uh, I went to high school, and I was a uh, I cheated my way through school. I mean, there was probably 240-something in our class, and I graduated 220-something. You know, and it's the, the low number's better. It's not, you know, you're not seeking to get the high number. And, uh, you know, I'd walk in class and cheat off, find a girl and cheat off of her, and I couldn't even cheat. I took, like, chemistry my senior year of high school. Like, had no business in that, right? None, zero. And, uh, but I would drink beer before I went to school, just take the edge off, get a buzz. Everybody likes school when you're buzzing, Right. And my buddy would hand out some kind of pills at lunchtime, and you knew everybody who just took the pills because everybody else was talking and eating, and then everybody had the pills passed out on the table, man. And uh, but I just, I just, and I, I remember cheating in, in chemistry, and I got a sixty, you know, five for the year, and sixty four is failing. And you know what that is? They just want you out of here, man. I mean, still to this day, it freaks me out when I see an elements chart. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like I sat in there all year, and I don't know anything about that. I remember having to go to the bathroom from drinking, you know, so so much, so quick. And I'd come back, and we'd be doing projects with test tubes and flames and this. And I'm like, what's smoking? And I'm like, what are we? I'm so lost. 
And uh, was, I was taking like college prep classes. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm not college material. But uh, my senior year of high school, I, I met a lot of people just like me and who, ha- who liked to have a lot of fun. And I always tell this story because this is what we did pretty much every weekend. My, my buddy Tim, he, uh, his grandparents had some money, and they had a Chevrolet conversion van, the real nice ones, like with the captain's chairs and the lights and the shades that came down. I mean, it was new, too. And why they let him take it, I have no idea, but I was grateful. And uh, we would pile people in this thing, man, and we just, Tim could drive good on a buzz. I mean, it didn't matter. This dude nailed it. And it was like, we just, he would drive, and it would be like the Cheech van, man. We'd smoke up in there. We'd drink. And uh, I had a friend, my best friend, Kenzie, in eighth grade, he could grow a mustache. And, I mean, it was impressive. I mean, if you look at the yearbook, it was like, you'd think this dude grade, you know, failed a couple grades, and he did. But, you know, that's besides the point. But he could go into the quick shop on Friday and before they ID'd, really, and just, shoot, you know, start talking to the cashier, and he'd say he was a construction worker. And he'd come out with a case of beer, and, man, we'd be more excited, you know, we're in a band partying. And we go over Florence. That's where you used to cruise the movie strip, man. That's when all the cool people, you know, bumper to bumper, you just cruise the strip, going nowhere, but just looking cool, right? So what we do, we'd be partying in this van, and back then they didn't have hydraulics like you see in all the rap videos, you know, but we didn't need them. What we did was we piled everybody on the back couch to get all the weight in the back, drop it down in low one on the strip, hit the gas and let up, get it going, and the front end would start hopping, man. Everybody would be like, yeah, honking their horns, and we're like, how cool is that, right? I mean, really. And then my buddy decided he'd get on top of the van because there was, like, the metal railing up there. So he just kind of surfed because we were going kind of slow. Well, my buddy thought it would be cool to, like, leave him on there from, like, Florence to Highland Heights, which is several miles on the highway. And he stayed on there, man, and he's beating on this van top. And I'm like, dude's going to die, man. I mean, it's like, but we thought that was cool, you know. And then we'd just get drunk, and we'd be drinking in the car, and we'd go out, party out in the county, and this one guy, he had a trailer, and he always had the field parties. And right before you got to his house, it dipped down like that. And, man, we had a Ford Thunderbird, and we'd jump that thing, and beer would be flying everywhere, and everybody would see you because they can see you coming. And, man, you get down there, and you were the life of the party already. I mean, who makes an entrance like that? And uh, it was just a fun time. And, that's what I did my senior year. And if you had Saturday school, what we did, you know, when we were riding around in a van, we slept in there, you know. We'd wake you up, dude, get up. Get up there. Get in there, man. You got to get in there. And then you go, you know, sleep through Saturday school, and when you're done, we just regroup and do it all over again. And that was really a lot of fun, man. If I could do that all over again without the consequences, I'm there, man. I, 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 I'm friends with that, my friend Tim on Facebook, and... Uh, I've seen him, and I, and I know he, he went left and I went right, thank God. But it's like I had a lot of fun memories with these guys, man, regardless. But I graduated high school, and my mom gave me this ultimatum, which was a hard one, too. She's like, get a job or go to college. I'm like, man, really? I mean, I'd rather just party. And uh, I knew I wasn't going to get a job, and here's why. You know how you know they talk about us, we either feel less than or you know, better than everybody or not as good all at the same time. Well, when the parties would break up, we'd go to Hardy's in Highland Heights, right? And there would be, like, a responsible person, like, working a, a job through high school. And, man, you'd be trashed, man. You're just ripped, right? And you're just getting, like, we'd buy, like, one French fry for 75 cents, and then you'd go over there, you know, you're all ripped, and you'd eat them all up and halfway through, and then you'd take them back up and say they were cold. So they'd give you some more, you know? So you got your money's worth, you know? You got to work it. But we'd walk in like Hardy's, and we'd make fun of those people that were working. You know, you'd be all drunk. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I felt bad because now my mom's like, get a job or go to college. And I'm like, I remember making fun of those people working fast food. There's no way I can go to work there. So I went to college, which, you know, come on. But it was like five minutes from our house. I went to Northern Kentucky University, and uh, my first class was University 101. And... Back then, I mean, Northern was five buildings. I mean, you could stand right here and count them. Science building, there's a man, you know. I mean, that's all University 101 was. They'd take you around, show you the library. Here's, I got a D in there. You know what I mean? I'm like, I was like, bizarre. I was like, I was embarrassed until I found somebody else in AA that got a D in there as well. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. But uh, if it was cold, I didn't go to school because it was, like, too cold. You got to park way over there to go there. And I was like, man, come on. And if it was raining, 
I never went because I didn't want to get all wet. You know, I'm like, I didn't carry an umbrella. Guys who carried umbrellas back then, I thought, man, there's something wrong with you. You know, I'm like, a guy with an umbrella, I didn't want to look stupid. And, uh, and I never carried a book bag. I thought guys that had book bags were stupid too. So I didn't have an umbrella or a book bag. So I wouldn't go to school and get all wet. And if it was sunny, it was like time to party. He's going, and you know, if, if I made it once a week, that's, that's good, right? But they don't, like the president of the university doesn't think so, the dean, you know. So what I ended up doing was getting like a 1.7 GPA like real quick. And that's not good because like you're striving for like a 4.0. So, you know, and uh, they were like, you know, you get the letter that says get your grades up or don't come back. And I thought, man, this is bizarre. I'm paying them good money to get this kind of letter. <laughs> you know, I'm like, come on, man. But uh, that's where I really started to learn something about myself is like I remember sitting in class going, Dude, you're flunking out, but you can't go home and tell your parents. Because I hid that letter from them because I was paying for school at the time. And I remember thinking, man, I can't go home and tell them I flunked out of school. Now now what, you know? So I instantly lied to myself, and I thought, you know what? I got a money problem. You know, I'm trying to work and go to school. No wonder I'm not doing so well. You know what I need to do is I need to sit out for a little bit, work, get some money in the bank, that way I don't have to work so much when I come back to school and I'll get better grades. And I thought that up in 10 seconds and away I went. I left. I didn't pass registration and tell them, you know, I'll be back, you know. And withdraw. I got straight out of there, walked out straight F's, and I never went back. And it was like, uh, but I, I learned a lie to myself where I could tell a lie and believe it in 10 seconds. And uh, I got to watch myself today, you know, when you, when you do things. It's not so much now, but early sobriety, you could lie to yourself about a lot of stuff and believe it like that. I mean, I used to get sick for work. You ever do this? My stomach hurts. It does, man. No, wow. Yeah, you better call in. And you're on the phone calling in for work, and you're not sick, but I can lie to myself. And I did that stuff. And so I, you know, I flunked out of college, and me and my parents were not getting along at all. I mean, I used to have my hand on my dad's throat, cussing him out. and blame, You never blame people for your, who you are. I'd say, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be like this. And I'd cuffs at him, and I'd want to choke him out. And my mom, God love her, she would be, uh, I knew it was a bad night when I woke up and there was a note slid underneath my bedroom door. And I, ne- I never wanted to read it because I didn't, you know, I was disappointing them and we're arguing and not getting along. And I ended up having a, a series of jobs that I, that I lost, um, I remember uh, my first job was washing dishes, and I was making three seventy-five an hour. And it just so happened that this guy I was washing dishes with was tripping on acid, man. And I, I, I you know what? The, I knew the guy was kind of crazy, but I, like I didn't know what he was on. But he's breaking dishes like over his head and throwing them against the wall. And he, I left there, man. I mean, I was an on. They still owe me like nine seventy-five, but I <laughs> never went back to collect. But I was like, man, I'm glad I got out of there. That was dangerous, really. Um, and I got another job washing dishes, and, you know, I'm making three seventy-five an hour again. And I'm like, wow. And then my friend who I drank with the first time, he was working at UPS. He'd gone through college, and he's, he's at UPS now. And he said, would you want a job? And I said, he said, it's $8 an hour. And I thought, well, yeah, eight, I mean, three, I wasn't majoring in math in Northern, and three seventy-five to 8 you didn't have to. You know, that's a, that's a raise. And uh, so I went to work at UPS, and, I mean, 30 days you're in the union. I mean, after you're in the union, you, it's you got to fight to lose your job. And, you know, what happened was, like, the 27th, 28th day came on a Friday. And uh, everybody, my friend Kevin came into town, and everybody's drinking. And I remember going, man, i got to go to work because I work, like, 5 to 9. And I'm like, everybody's starting to party, you know. And I'm like, there's nothing worse than when everybody's partying and you're not. And then what happened was I, I started to feel sick. And, I, yeah, I, I call in, I party with these guys, and I'm fired on Monday, man. I mean, 30 days, it had been hard to fire me. 28th on a Friday, you're out of here. I was kind of depressed, man. Got another job out in Claryville, you know, cons. And I was driving a forklift. And I, I got that job, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's kind of interesting. I didn't know anybody with clean urine. I mean, I absolutely, unless you were an infant, you know what I mean? I knew no one. And, um... But I, this girl, I knew she did. She drank, but she never did any drugs. So on a Friday, I said, Amy, can I get some urine from you? And she's like, I'm like, I got a job, you know, interview. I got to take a test on Monday. And she gave me her urine, right? 
So I kept it all weekend, and uh, on the way out the door to take the test, I put it in the microwave. You know how, like, one's for, like, popcorn, two to thaw me, you know what I mean? I don't know which one I hit, urine, three, but it heated up just right. So I go out there, and I take this drug test, and they put the label on there, and it was just right. And I got the job. Lucky she wasn't pregnant, you know what I mean? Got some explaining to do. But uh, so I got this job, and I'm driving a forklift, and, like, so I'm smoking weed and drinking on a Friday night, and it's 10 o'clock, and I'm, I'm ready to roll, man. I got to go to work in the morning on Saturday. And this guy walks in, and he goes, uh, hey, I'm going on an acid run. Does anybody want? I'm like, man, I don't really man, I remember that dude <laughs> washing dishes, man. You know what I mean? I kind of forgot about it. But uh, he gets his acid, right? And I'm like, he did. It didn't come with any kind of warning, like, this will be your mentality for the next eight hours, you know? And, like, so we stared at a brick wall for eight hours straight, man. And it was, it was interesting, man. I mean, I had a good time. I mean, that was, that was awesome. I still, they did since tore the house down. We partied in that house so bad, they just tore it down. But, uh, oh, my God, I'm looking at, I, I got to be at work. You know, it's 530. I mean, I'm tripping. I mean, I can't drive a forklift. I mean, O should be all over me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'd kill somebody. So I call in sick, and I got fired. And uh, couldn't believe it again, man. And then you come to A and you read things in the big book and it talks about, uh, you know, how we judge ourselves on our intentions while, you know, the rest of us judge our, you know, the world judges us on our actions. And, you know, I was like, I meant to be at work both times. You know, I meant to go to work. I didn't want to lose my job. I wanted to be there. And I just obviously couldn't be there. And uh, long story short, I got a job at a restaurant on River. It's It's been it's scrapped now as a waterfront restaurant and I got hired on there with two of my friends back in 1990 and that's when the economy was booming I mean the who's who were there I'm watching movies and then next thing you know they're in a restaurant the following weekend you know and there's Lamborghinis and Porsches outside and and we got a swimming pool and we got a jacuzzi and the boats are on the river and the bands are playing I mean it just didn't get any better than that and we were bus boys, and we thought we were hanging out with the rich and famous. Well, we were just busting our tables, you know. But uh, it was it was fun. It was a good time. And I, we started making a lot of money, you know, each night. And what would happen was I picked up a little cocaine habit along the way. I had never tried it before. I wrote papers in school about why not to do that. And I knew what happened to people that did that. But nevertheless, you know, We'd get down there and we'd be partying. And it wasn't that place. It was just me. Wherever I went, I would find whatever. And uh, this guy would say, he'd say, it's snowing in Cincinnati, boys. And that meant it came through. And it was summertime, so it was obviously not snowing. And we'd have eight-ball eight keg parties, man. We'd drink whiskey all night long and flaming drinks, you know what I mean, and do this. And I just felt like a million dollars until 10 o'clock in the morning. You're still doing shots and you got to be back at 3. You know, I feel a little sluggish at that point. But, uh, you know, we were in an environment that allowed you to do that, really. And uh, I had a lot of fun. And we did a lot a lot of fun partying there. But what happened at the end is um, finally I'm hanging out with some guys, and I walk up to them one day, and I said, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, uh, we're talking about, you know, cocaine. You know, it's crack form. You smoke it. And I was like, oh, my God, never heard of that before. And uh, next thing you know, I kind of picked up that habit, and I was drinking, and, and doing that, and that, that led to my downfall pretty quick, man. I uh, I went down, and I went down quick, and, you know, I look I look back, and I go, I wouldn't change it for anything because it got me here a lot faster. And uh, my last days of drinking was, uh, you know, I used to be a social crackhead, you know what I mean? Those are people that just aren't smart enough to figure out you don't share, you know what I mean? It's like, you'll figure it out quick. But we just drank, and at the end, I'd sit in my house and drink, you know, I drank vodka, I drank J.B. Scotch, Yellowstone, my dad's beer. I drank the wine on the refrigerator. I'll drink Robitussin, NyQuil. I'll drink whatever, and I just get high and drink, you know, and deal with whatever the next day. That's always my mentality is whatever I do today, I'll worry about tomorrow. You know, I'm not, I don't have to worry about tonight if the night's still young. And uh, my friend Kenzie I, I told you about, he he's how I knew of AA. When I was 17, he was 15. And he uh, went to rehab, and he went to rehab in Covington. It was adolescent unit, and he went there for like 30 days. And he wrote me a letter from rehab, and he was just telling me what was going on, and they were going to sober dances and 
blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, when I get out, you know, I got to change my life. And in his letter, he goes, I know you got a problem because we hang out every day too. And I was like, yeah, whatever. But he gets out. But I knew there was rehab. And some guy dropped him off at my house, and I saw taillights go up the street at night. And he goes, there went my sponsor. And I went, sponsor? And we went to Oak Street, which is in Cincinnati. And uh, we went to a meeting with him to support him because poor guy's got a problem, you know. And uh, me and we went and probably smoked some weed to take the edge off, you know. I'm like, I walked in there, man. I thought, wow, if this is your life, man, I feel sorry for you. But what happens is, I can't remember some things from last week, but I, I have this hard drive in my head that there are certain things that happen in my life I never forget, no matter what. And I remember 17, Oak Street, sponsor, rehab. And then at 20 years old, when I got so bad, I was ready. I just wanted to die, man, and I was ready to kill myself. I was, it was always the thing that allowed me to keep moving, is that if it gets bad enough, you can kill yourself. It was just one more option to give you one more option to keep being able to get up. And, uh, but I remember there was a, and one night I stayed out all night, and I'm up all morning drinking beer, and I walk in the house, and my parents just looked at me, and they said, you look terrible. And I'm like, what? And I, they said, you're going to rehab. I said, I'm going to bed. You know, I've been up all night. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in St. E, the adult unit in Covington, you know, fifth floor, right up from where Kenzie was. And, you know, I'm in there for 19 days, and I gained like 19 pounds because you eat. Like when you, you know, you're in a place like that. And it was like, I was like Skeletor, man, you know, and I'm like eating. And and uh, that began my journey in AA, and I didn't stay sober. I smoked weed the night I got out because some guy offered me weed, you know. And I'm like, well, sure. Didn't even come into my mind that I'd just been, re- but it ruined my buzz. Never had a good buzz after that. And, uh, but January 4th of 92 is when my sponsor picked me up at my house, and he took me back to Oak Street. And I've been here since, and. I can tell you a lot that's happened along the way. And some of the coolest things that have happened to me in AA was the best thing I ever did was a four-step. And I've had three sponsors, and Steve Wall, he's been my sponsor for 22-plus years. And uh, But, uh, you know, he showed me how to do an inventory, and so did my other sponsors. And he said, what are you doing in two weeks? And I said, I don't know, man. And he's like, I have your inventory ready, you know, so we can do your fifth step. And if you don't have it ready... Find someone else to sponsor you because I'm busy, man. And uh, so I got my inventory done, and next thing you know, we're on the AA Highway. It's Alexander to Ashland, and better, what better fitting road to do an inventory on? And, and uh, we just took this ride, man, and uh, we talked about my inventory. And here's a lot of things I've learned that have really been epic and, and life-altering for me is all my life when I wrote down my resentments, I could clearly identify who I was mad at, why I was mad at him, and how it made me feel. And I could rattle that off easily, because we all knew that. And I wrote that down, and I remember he said, tell me about your dad. I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked, man. Here's a guy who's going to you know, feel sorry for me. And I unloaded on what I thought my dad did to me, and well, how it made me feel, and blah, blah, blah. And he said something that forever changed my life to this day, and that was a lot of years ago. He said, we're not worried about what your dad did. We're worried about what you did. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, what kind of son were you? He said, did you steal from your dad? And I said, oh, yeah. I mean, any chance I got, man. I'd see his wallet, and I was a creeper, man. And uh, he said, did you argue with your dad? And I said, all the time, man. I'd have my hand on a stroke, blaming him for who I was and why I was like this. And he said, did you ignore him? I'm like, dude, every, every minute I could. If I came home and he was there, I was like, just act like he wasn't there. He goes, that's what we're worried about. Because that's all we'll ever change is you, the 1% that might have been your, you know, that you had responsibility for. And we went down the list, and we kind of went down the list with that in mind. And what happened that day is the first three of the columns on a four-step to me are the victim. I'm the victim in one first, second, third column. The fourth column changed me from being a victim to being responsible for my recovery. And kind of like what it did from, from then on is to take a situation and you see it like this your whole life. And then you do an inventory, and you, you see your part in it, and your sponsor, and all of a sudden it spins the same object in a different, in a different light, and you go, I've never looked at that. I've never seen that like that. I mean, I didn't even know that was possible. And then from then on, I don't know that I've ever played the victim. I may have played the victim since then, but I've never played a victim since then not knowing I was being a victim. 
And, you know, if you're in recovery any amount of time, you're quick to learn, i got to get out of the victim zone because the victim zone is the drinking zone. And um, so I got to go down my inventory, and I remember the very first one I did with my first sponsor. The greatest thing that I got from that is I remember staring over his shoulder, looking out the window, going, this guy knows everything there is to know about me. I don't have any secrets, man. I've told this guy everything. And we do, and, you know, I'm, I don't know if you guys do too, but we write down a deep, dark secret right off the top. You know that thing that take it to the grave, we call it. That thing you weren't going to tell anybody. We, you know, we're suggested to write that down first. And then once you get that down, the rest just flows. And, um, you know, I sat before this guy, and he knew everything there was to know about me. And, you know, I went on to make amends, and I'll tell you about some of those. My dad, who I always just never got along with, man, like I told you, well, it's amends time, and I've done my inventory, and it's time to go along with this. And uh, I go down, I talk to my dad, and uh, I said, hey, Dad, you got amends? He said, yeah. And I said, hey, I, talk, I need to make amends to you for some things. And, and uh, I was talking, hey, you don't say you're sorry because we burn sorry up millions of times. Hey, we say, I'm here to make right my wrongs. And I told my dad off my inventory the things I'd done, you know. And I said, what can I do to make him right? And uh, my dad started crying. And he, I, I'd seen him, that was the second time I ever seen him cry. His mom died and I saw him it, and it went away. And then, you know, right then, he was just crying. And he said, you're doing something that I'll probably never be able to do. You just keep doing it. And I just remember I walked up the steps. I can remember like it was yesterday. And I remember walking up the steps going, wow, man, I was kind of wild. And, and from that day on, man, me and my dad slowly started to have this relationship. It was just weird, man. It was uncomfortable at first. And we weren't huggy, kissy kind of guys. But my dad did things to show me he loved me, you know what I mean? He liked to cook a lot, and he would cook. And I always liked to clean my car, and he'd always have my car stuff out there. And, you know what I mean? We just started having conversations. And what happened was my dad was sick, and he had congestive heart failure and in and out of hospital, air care, you know, Lasix, you know. And then finally we're sitting there in front of the doctor one day, and he says, uh, there's nothing more that we can do for you. We're going to send you home with hospice. And it was just like that, you know what I mean? I'm sitting there with my mom, and we're like, what? And my dad comes home, and, you know, I was like, what do you think, Dad? And he goes, well, I'm home, and I guess I'm going to die here. And it's just bizarre, you know. I'm like, how's this happening? So we had hospice there, and my mom would take care of him, and then I'd come in towards the evening, and I'd sit there with my dad, and, and uh, he had morphine, and I'd give him morphine in his little orange cup at midnight, and I'd shake his hand, and I'd say, I love you, Dad. I'd turn, reach over and turn the light out, and I'd say, I, I love you, Dad. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. And I always knew, you know, tomorrow's coming, you know. And uh, we had end up had taking him to the hospital because he was unresponsive, and I thought that was it. You know, he's just going to... And my mom calls me up, and she's at the hospital, and she says, uh, she says, uh, you're not going to believe this. Your dad's sitting up right now, and he's talking, and he wants to talk to you. So I drove up to the hospital, and he's back in bed at this point, and I walk in and shut the door. And my sponsor always said, I said, I don't know how to do this, Steve. What do I do, you know? He said, you just tell him everything you want to tell him, man. And, uh, you know, I just told him I was grateful for everything he's ever done for us, you know, and we're just talking. And he reaches up, and he's got his hand down in the bed, and I said, what? didn't know what he's doing, and he shook my hand, and he said, thanks for everything, I appreciate it. And he died the next day, and that was his last words to me, you know. And I was nine and a half years sober at that time, and the significance of that is, is I hated my dad. I really genuinely hated this guy. I mean, I blamed him for what, you know, and everything. And then for nine and a half years, because my sponsor on the double-way highway said, why don't you take a look at this situation from this angle, and then I, I was like, wow, you know, it's all from another angle. And it healed me and it healed him. And when my dad was sick, he would ask me questions. You know, we'd talk a lot. And he, My home group's the Big A in Alexandria, and we meet on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. And he'd say, what do you do at the Big A? You know, what goes on out there? Well, you know, Dad, we split up into groups on the first, and then we have lead meetings. And I, and I, I know what he was doing. He was saying, I've seen you change. I'm just kind of wondering how it happened. And uh, so it was kind of neat. And, you know, I, we buried my dad sober. And then I was real close to my mom. And I was a mama's boy, and I was I was driving down the road for work one day, and my mom called me at work, and I knew something wasn't right with that, and they said they you know found a lump in my lung, and I was like, man, just buckled me, you know, and I mean I went back to my work and I cried, and um, so long story short, me and my two Kenzie and Carl, we drove over to my mom's right after that day after I got off work, and we just sat there and pretty much knew she had cancer, and 
I just gave my mom a big hug, and we cried. And I said, Mom, I said, uh, I'll be with you every step of the way. Trust me. You won't be alone. I'll be here every step of the way. And my mom started chemo regiments, and every Friday I went with my mom, not because my mom couldn't drive, but because I wanted to go. And I'd drive with my mom. We'd go over there. She'd get an hour or two drip, and I'd read magazines. And she always called me Keithy, and she'd say, Keithy, you don't need to touch me on your hand. And she'd say, you don't need to be here. And I said, Mom, I ain't no place I'd rather be. And, uh, you know, and then one day, you know, they gave her a year and a half to two years to live. And um, it was so weird because check this out. I've been in relationships before, and I screwed every one of them up. You know why? Because I was in it, you know. I was a common denominator. So I, my mom gets cancer, and then two weeks later, I meet Katie on Facebook. She chimes in on the talk, right? And um, she's like, hey, and we start talking. I'm like, well, who's this? You know what I mean? I'm like, maybe she's just being friendly. And so we meet, and and, and uh, we go, I, you know, she was a supervisor at a treatment center, and you know, my job then, you know, we sent people to treatment, and she, I said, I'm in recovery, you know, and she said, uh, I'd love to hear your lead sometime. I said, well, promise this breakfast meeting on Sunday, I'm giving a lead. She goes, I'll be there, and I went, I told my buddy Carl, I said, dude, you got to go to promise with me, this girl's going to be there, and uh, so I give my lead, you know, and I get down, we go to lunch, and I get in the car, and I drop her off, you know, and I remember going, man, I didn't want to drop her off, I didn't want her to leave, you know, and then I tell my mom, you know, I'm like, Mom, I met this girl, and I was like, and my mom just loved her, you know. And I told Katie, I said, I got a lot going on, my mom's sick, I understand, you know. I mean, I probably, she's like, it doesn't bother me at all. And she won me over when she did this. She goes, I was working, and she was off on a Friday, and she goes, I'm going to take your mom Friday. I went, man, you got me, you know. And uh, she knew the love I had for my mom. I was just a mama's boy. She knew, and I don't make any... You know, I was awesome being mom's boy. I, I recommend it. And it was just so cool. And then one day we got a call, man. Um, what we did, though, is I'm eating lunch with my mom, and Katie's coming to meet us, right? And it's coming up on a year that we've been together, right? I used to live in Florida and walk the beach and see the beach weddings. I'm like, man, maybe one day, you know. And uh, I'm coming up on a year, and my mom's wanting to send us on a trip to Florida because we go all the time. And she goes, uh, I said, Mom, I'm thinking about getting engaged. And she, like, looked up at me, you know what I mean? Like, the clock stopped, you know? And uh, Katie walks in. I'm like, she here? she's here, you know what I mean? So long story short, I buy this ring. I mean, I spent more money on this ring than I'd ever, except for a car, you know what I mean? And I lived alone at the time, and I hid it in the closet, right? And, man, I looked at that thing, like, two or three times a day, you know what I mean? Like, is it still there? I'm like, who's going to take it, dude? You live here alone. So we go to Florida. My mom, we talked her into coming with us because we knew time was limited, and we, uh, sunset's coming up. I just went to an AA meeting. I told them I'm getting engaged, you know, and they all clap for me. So I've got my AA charge on, you know. And I, I'm going, you know, I'm driving back to the condo. The sun's going down. I'm like, Katie, come on, let's go for a walk. She's like, I'm just relaxing, man. I'm like, come on. And uh, I, I, I asked her to marry me, and I, I don't think I got the words out. I was like, Ugh. you know, I cried like a little baby, you know what I mean? She said, yeah, we got engaged. My mom saw, you know, from the balcony, and, and uh, I said, we're going to get married a year from now, Mom, right here, back here. And, and uh, we got a call along the way. It was like three months later. I got a call from the coroner on the phone that my mom had just passed away in her garage. And I guess she must have been driving. I had some kind of aneurysm or something and had an episode. And she passed away, man, just like that. I just had lunch with her, you know, on a Tuesday, and she passed on a Thursday. And I remember every freaking word we'd said. And, you know what I mean, I remember what she was wearing and, you know what I mean? I just remember it, and it's like, it blew. I thought this is going to be the test if I stay sober. Because honestly, my mind, I was like, I want to go with her. I'm done. My dad's gone. I'm going with her. You know, I was just so far gone. I was like, what am I going to do? And I sent a text out as I'm going to her house because it's only 30-second drive and down to the other condo. And then next thing you know, in 15 minutes to a half an hour, there's 20 AA guys there, you know, changed my mom's tire because she blew it on the way down. You know, my sponsor said, come in here, and we got on, and uh, I said, what? And we shut the door in my mom's room and her bed, and he said, let's pray. And we got on our knees and prayed on my mom's bed, and A, carried me through that, man, and that was just a little over four years ago. And um, so, 
you know, if I had not gotten sober, man, I wouldn't have got, you know, all those years with my dad, with my mom. And you can't, make, you don't, you can't go back and get those years, you know. And it's like, because I did that inventory and I made amends and I shared all that stuff, I got to see my part in things and straighten out relationships with people that I don't have to go back and straighten out. Because we were at peace, you know. And uh, I did graduate college. I went back to college at four years sober and I paid my own way. And I went part-time, and I did A full-time, and I worked. And uh, I remember I went to speech class, right? It was one of my classes I had to take. And I go up, you know, to my professor, and I said, Hey, look, I said, uh, between me and you, I said, I'm an A. You know, I've been sober four years. I'm going to do this speech on this. And she goes, between me and you, I've been an A for eight years. You know what I mean? And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> okay. And uh, it was like God was saying, I'm everywhere you go, man. And I had a professor, this is kind of wild, um, I was going to major in business, and I was going to major in aviation administration. I always liked the airport, and people were going and happy. And and uh, and then all of a sudden, I was in this class, and um, this professor goes, I used to be a construction worker. He goes, but I got out of that field and into this because crime interests me. And I went, oh, me too. You know what I mean? I'm like, whenever I'd see the cops or something, what's going on over there, man? You know, what's he doing? What? And I... And I got hooked on criminal justice, right? I mean, I just, it was, those, it was that class and that, that field that just made me go to school. And I wanted to go. And, um, but long story short, it's illegal to have crack in the state of Kentucky. It's, you know what I mean? Just an FYI. And uh, on Halloween night, year, 25 years ago, I got arrested for it. I'm sitting in the back of a cruiser, and I'm going to jail. And I'm calling Mommy from jail, and I, Mommy's crying, and Mommy can't just come and get me, you know? And uh, so I'm, I, I had to major, right? So I was going to declare this criminal justice in my major. I thought, this is interesting. You know, I love this. But there's absolutely no way I could ever get into this. I mean, facts are facts, dude. It's black and white. You ain't, it ain't happening. So I'm calling my sponsor because I, before I can go in and register this semester, I have to declare a major. You can't go in. So I pick up the phone. I said, Steve, man, I want to major in this, but I'll never be able to, man. But I can't go in until... And he said something so simple that just steered me. And it was really a pivotal moment. He goes, sometimes you got to go in a direction until you're steered somewhere else. And I went, well, that's easy. And I hung up and I went in and I said, I want to major in criminal justice, you know. And I, something inside of me said, those who do the right thing, the right things will come. Something inside of me said that. So I, I graduate December 2000, man. And there, the, the, you know, the president's up there and at the podium and he's like, there's a lot of people who have overcome a lot of obstacles to get where they are today. You know, congratulations to everybody here. And I'm thinking, dude, I used to smoke crack. <laughs> did, did you know that? And you know what I mean? I was ready to kill myself. I look like Skeletor, you know? Uh, you know, I'm just sitting there, like, just beaming inside. Like, you know how I went to college? Like I do AA. They give me a big book. I bought the class, you know, the book. There's a sponsor. There was a professor. You show up to meetings. You show up to college. You need help, you ask for help. Your sponsor, your professor. Next thing you know, I'm graduating from college. And I was like, I made the dean's list like the last two years, and it wasn't the other dean's list, you know what I mean? It was like the legit. And uh, so I graduated, and I got into sales for a little while, and just kind of, I did all right, but it just wasn't what I really wanted to do. I thought, I always want to wear a suit, and then I'd wear a suit, and I'm like, I can't wait to get off this thing off me, man. Get this tile. And uh, so I got a job, and... Uh, this kind of criminal justice field, kind of with the courts, you know, a little bit. And uh, Next thing you know, I thought, man, I'd like to be a probation officer. I, mind you, I did three years on probation, right? <laughs> so what's the odds? Long story short, I wrote this, the governor at the time trying to get a pardon off my record, right, and got a dear, you know, thank you but no thank you letter back. An A attorney at home found a statute on the books that said anybody that had a a felony conviction for a for a possession charge after 10 years that had shown just cause could have their record expunged as if it never happened. I mean, and I, I went to a lot of attorneys, and nobody knew anything about this, and then some AA attorneys found the statute. Filled out this paperwork, boom. I got this removed off my record, right? I'm like, no way. I mean, this is like, there ain't no way, man. And uh, so next thing you know, I applied for this probation job, right? same office I used to like report to I got my suit on I'm rolling up the elevator I'm laughing I'm like to myself I'm like if I go up there and they just cuss me out man it'd be hilarious it'd be a good story right 
I roll up there, I'm sitting in the lobby listening to everybody like I, you know, I used to hear them, oh, uh, you're getting screwed over again in here, you know, and all this, and I'm just kind of smirking. And I go back for this interview, and uh, I get hired. And I'm like, they hand me a badge, they hand me a gun, right? And uh, so I start working after training, and they said, you know, right there's the dead files. That's where anybody who's been on your file would be in there, you know, and I'm like, ooh, you know, now I'm not going to look, you know, and I'm like, I went on for a couple weeks, and curiosity got the cat, man, I got up, and I went looking for my file, I opened this drawer up, and I got a cousin, right, and there's his file, <laughs> you know, it's thick, and right behind that was my file with my name on it, and I'm working here now, and if somebody sees that, that shouldn't be in there, there should have been a shred order, you know, for the judge, I got a copy of it, and I'm like, I go sit at my desk, and I'm like, oh, my God, I called my sponsor. He ain't answering. Called somebody else. They're not answering. I was like, I looked up. I said, let's go, God. And I walked in my supervisor's office, and I knock on his door, and he goes, he's busy, you know. And I'm like, hey, you know, I got to talk to you for a minute. He goes, what's going on? I'm like, I got a file here. And he's like, what? I'm like, here's a long story short, you know, blah, blah, blah. I told him all. Let me get this straight. And I said, that, you got it straight. That's the, you know what I mean? And uh, he didn't know what to think, you know what I mean? And I went and sat down at my desk, and they went up the chain, and I got an email from them, and they said, that should have never been in there for a judge's order. Welcome, and we're glad you're here. And uh, I remember being in a staff meeting, because what would happen, people that got in trouble, you know, would go to AA. You know, so you'd see them in the office, well, then they see you and like home group, you know, and they don't know what anonymity is, you know. So they'd be like, hey, Keith, you know, you're going to see you at Big A tonight, you know. And, like, officers are looking at me like, how do you know these people? I mean, once is once, but, like, ten times, you know, it's like people are getting curious. So in a staff meeting once, I, I raised, they said, anybody got anything? And I said, I said, I just want to tell you guys, you're probably wondering how I know a lot of these people. I'm going to tell you the truth. I've been sober 17 years or whatever it was back then, I said, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. If you guys ever have any questions about recovery, because we, you know, obviously send people to these places, come and ask me. I'd be more than glad to help you out. And I said, I hope I'm still cool. And they all laughed, and it was all cool with me for that whole time. Well, I always wanted to be a police officer, right? And I'm like, nah, it's pushing it. You know what I mean? You made it this far, back off, dude. And uh, so next thing you know, I'm like, I'm 40 years old, right? And I applied a couple places, and... You know, I'm making some contacts with people, you know. I'm kind of a good worker, I felt like. And I applied at this place, and next thing you know, I mean, when you apply there, you have to write your fist up times everything on a piece of paper. And then what they do is they hook you up to this machine, you know, that measures your breathing rate and your perspiration. And then they, it's basically like a dude's going to ask you, you know, make sure you're telling the truth. And uh, so I had to fill all this. I'm calling my buddy, Kenzie. I'm like... It's asking me to put how many times I smoke pot on here. I'm like, I'm laughing. I'm like, seriously, dude, give me a minute. I was like, how many times? Just give me a number, man. i got to come up with one. We're laughing, you know. And Katie's sitting on the couch, and I'm like, they're not going to hire me. I'm laughing. I'm like, there's no way. And uh, so I go in, and I just told them the absolute truth. I said, here's who I am. Here's what I did. Here's it all on paper. I don't have anything to hide. I already have a job. If you can't hire me, guys, I'll still be working down the road, and I'll be helping you just like I have been for the last six years. And uh, I go into my interview, and I went through the process once, didn't get hired. I go back in. I'm giving one more shot, you know, and I'm shaking hands, and I go to sit down, and the chief looks at me, and he says, I'm not, don't even sit down. He said, I'm not going to waste your time or mine. He said, you should have been hired last time. You're next on my list. And at 40 years old, I went through the police academy, you know. And for the last three years, that's what I've been, you know, doing is working as a police officer. And it's uh, been a wild ride. Um, a lot of things happen. And, you know, the neat thing that I get to do is I get to take this program with me to work. And it doesn't always work perfectly. But, like, I, you know, I understand the people out there because I'm one of you, man. You know, I, I understand. I have principles to take with me, you know. I didn't just get a gun and a badge and a set of handcuffs last week, and I'm like, let's go, you know what I mean? A guy came into the police department one day, and they called me back there to respond back to the police department. This guy's drunk, man. He's like, he's, you know, he's staggering, and he's like, take me to jail. You know, I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 man. We don't just take people to jail like it's the Hilton, you know what I mean, on Andy Griffith's show, you know. He's like, man, I'm drunk, look, and he goes to walk a straight line, you know what I mean? He's like, see, and I'm like, Man, I'm not, hold on, man. And he goes, I'm going to run headfirst into your car, you know. And I'm like, well, that's going to hurt, dude. 
And I'm talking to him for a minute. You know, I could have just thrown him in the car and taken him to jail, no problem. And out of our conversation, he goes, I need help. I said, and it just stopped me. I said, do you need help? Do you want help? And he said, yeah. And I called our detox center, and I said, it's late. I'm on night shift, so it's 2 in the morning. And I'm like, you guys got a bed, and chances are they don't. And they go, we got one right now. I said, you want help, dude? He said, yeah. I said, get in the car, and I drove him to detox. You know what I mean? I could have driven him right to jail. I mean, I was right there. I was out of my way. And the guy stayed for a little while, but he didn't stay forever. But maybe he got a seed planting, you know. I had a traffic stop on a car one day. They just blew a stop sign, and I'm not a big ticket rider. I'm uh, always fishing for bigger and better things. But I stopped this car, and it's a car full of guys, and I'm always asking people, where are you guys coming from? Oh, they're coming from the uh, A, meaning down the road. And I'm like, ah, okay, you know, these guys are probably all right. So I run them, and everybody's cool. You know, stop sign's 160 bucks, And I'm like, hey, guys, you, you know, stop sign's got $160, three points on your license. I'm like, you guys are in A, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you hear that sometimes, so I'm like, I'm going to quiz them. I said, you guys got sponsored? Oh, yeah, 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 right on my. How long you guys been saying? Oh, three months. Oh, all right, all right. And I, what's step one? Oh, somebody rattled it off. And I'm like, what's step three? You know, I'm going to fill them out and then get them in a men's step, see if they made it. And somebody, they knew it, right? And I'm like, these guys are legit, you know? I hand them back their IDs and I'm like, slow down, boys. I said, I'm a friend of Bill's too. And I've never heard a car erupt like that. They're like, oh, my God. They were just laughing so hard. And I just smiled on the way back to my car. It was pretty cool. And uh, it's kind of ironic because I just applied for, like, a position within the department, and I haven't even started it, but I just found out I'm going to get it. And what it entails is, like, plain clothes work for, for the next year or whatever. And they're like, you know, all right, the position's yours. You know, I had to write it, you know, and put in for it, and everybody else did. And they're like, you're going to have your own office. <laughs> I mean, this, <laughs> this is just bizarre. Like, a guy like me, he's got an office in the PD. You know what I mean? Like, wow, man, this is going to be interesting. But, uh all that's nice, but I'll tell you what's most important, you know. Um, I got up, I prayed this morning, and I prayed throughout the day. I'll pray tonight. I say, somebody told me a long time ago, say please in the morning, please keep me sober, and say thanks tonight. And that's where my prayers kind of started. And I drive around in a car for 12 hours a day by myself, and you can start having group therapy, and you're the only one there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got to pray. And uh, so I pray, and Steve's been my sponsor, and I have a home group. And I do a big book study every year. We do it with guy, you know, men's big book, and we work the steps together, and we don't move until everybody's on the same page. And it uh, keeps me doing my inventory and doing my steps. And I sponsor guys, and I go to a lot of meetings. And, uh, you know, seven months ago, almost eight months ago, I never thought I wanted to be a dad. You know, I'm too self-centered. Me, 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 you know. And uh, I met Katie, and uh, I knew she probably wanted, would like to have – kids and I did an inventory of my sponsor and I said Steve I'm obviously older and I said you know thinking about you know having kids you know I mean what do you think about I'm a little scared I'm a little older blah 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 and he goes I think you'd be a great dad and he goes I don't think you should miss out on it and I was like okay and you know seven almost eight months ago we had a little boy and his name's Caden and uh it's like our first it's just it's just like this is our first weekend away from, like, our boy, you know, and Katie's been fortunate enough to be able to stay home, you know, because financially we couldn't. And she was a supervisor at her job, and she went to put her notice in after the 12 weeks, and they said, how would you like to work from home, you know, and work at your own pace? And they pay her well, and she still gets her 401 contribution. And she, she goes, I don't want to miss anything. And she's got to see him suck his thumb for his first time, you know, say that, you know, and I get the videos while I'm working, you know what I mean? And it's like... It's uh, it's just it's been awesome, man. And I I used to like drive down the road when the sun was coming up and the birds are chirping and I've been up all night and there's like people driving to work and there's a guy watering his lawn and there's a guy playing with his kids over there and I'd sit there and I'd see those people just snapshots as you're driving and I think how how do you get there? How do you get over there? How do you get to be a you know how do you and I I I just didn't have the piece of the puzzle you know and um. We buy a house in a really nice neighborhood. I mean, I have—I don't know how we even got there. You know, it's just bizarre. Like, and one day I'm out watering my grass, right? And our neighbors are like nurses and stuff. And Sam comes out, and I'm like, "Hey, Sam, how you doing?" You know, I'm watering the lawn, and I'm like, "You're that guy, man. You know, you're the guy you always wanted to be." And but uh, what what I realized today is, 23 years later, man, 
I'm no better than I was on day one because alcoholism is still right next to me. It lives in me every day. I've never forgotten my last drink. I don't believe if I ever pick up, it ever get better. It will always get worse. And I believe this. I believe that, you know, you can pick up and have a brief recovery, but the big book says it's always followed by a still worse relapse. It doesn't say maybe. It's always. And I've just, I've been fortunate to be always be a meeting maker, to have a sponsor that believes in AA. These guys like Dick and all these guys have been here a long time that just have paved the way for me that just says, this is autopilot. This is what I do when your mom gets sick, your dad gets sick. You graduate college, you have a son, you get married, you get this job. This is where I come no matter what because this is what's given me a, a second cha- chance in life. And the big book says we're reborn, and I know exactly what that means. I lived 20 years one way. I got sober, and for the last 23, I've been living this whole it's like a GPS when you pass the road up like I did on the way. It recalculates. And, hey, you get, the, you get a do-over here, man. You can screw up and stay sober, and it recalculates, and you get back on the path. And uh, reborn is, is I live there, and now I live here. And it's, just, it's amazing, man. I mean, I'm blown away to be in the capacity that I'm in living like this. And to be in a program, it's like, I don't know, there's just there's magic here, dude. These are my people. When I'm around you guys... I know I'm in the right spot, you know. I'm like an alien out there. Our buddy Gene talks about it at home. He, I'll tell the story and I'll be quiet because this is really how A summed up. Gene, you know, had a suit and tie and he was a teacher downtown Cincinnati in a high rise, you know. And uh, he went down in the alley to have a smoke break and there's a guy, you know, sitting there drunk with a bottle, you know, and laying in the alley and Gene's talking to him and and he's telling his tales of well. And Gene looked at him and he said, you know what, buddy, I'm, I'm just like you, man. He said, but I'm in camouflage, you know, because he had a suit and tie on and it appeared to be put together. But he's like, I'm just like you. I'm just in camouflage. And that's what A's done for me. It, it takes a guy like me, puts us out there in the world in camouflage where we can recognize one another. And uh, it allows me to just go be out there and, and be in the world. And whereas before I was too afraid, you know. And uh, I'm really glad to be here. I'm, I'm excited to have been asked to come here. Um, Katie's going to tell you how it really is tomorrow. And thanks for listening, guys.